Hey everybody, welcome once again to Rise of the GM, where today we're going to talk about a strange mist over the continent. We're going to talk about a ruthless thug that might not be as bad as he seems, and why in the heck does the world even need a hero? Here on Rise of the GM. Well, it is good to be back here again. Today we have a couple, three topics, and I'm not going to lie to you, right at the outset, we're not sure exactly what we're going to say about any of these. Yeah. But you know what? It's going to be good. And as long as it goes, it goes. We'll come up with some good stuff. Maybe some of you out there also will have some good stuff you can contribute either in the comments or as you uh, yeah. come to the haversack later with more questions. But uh, Adam, how are you today? It's been one of those crazy cold weeks. We we had, we had just are coming out of that super cold uh, we had some negative seven here, but I know that up in Chicago, they had some like negative 13 or greater yeah, and crazy. Uh, just a pain. Um, none of your pipes froze up, did they? Nope. Not this year yet. Yes. But <laughs> yet. <laughs> I was, yeah. I am excited about that. We so. are going back into another three days of cold before next week. One week from today, I think it's supposed to be 57 degree high here. That's wild. Now that's seven days out and there sometimes it adjusts as you get yeah. closer. But I mean, just looking at that temperature next week is hard to fathom. <laughs> Honestly, even if it's half of that, I would take it. Yeah. You know, it's like almost 30 degrees. Awesome. <laughs> so. I know. I know. As long as the night doesn't get down below zero. Actually, if it, if it would get like up into the double digits, I'm happy because then, you know, uh, otherwise we're running like several heaters and our, I just don't even want to see my heating bill next yeah, yeah, yeah. month. Just, just don't look at it. <laughs> hey, uh, something I was going to throw in here at the beginning is uh, I have had some, some cool, just like little side conversations about uh, gaming and um, kind of spurred on from the podcast over the last couple of weeks. And I just wanted to say thanks to people listening and watching um, and taking part in like Instagram and on Twitter and that kind of stuff, because that's been a really cool experience for me to be able to like bounce some ideas or just like know people are listening. And um, I know Matthew, you don't like see that quite as much in those kind of conversations, but it's, it's been really neat to, and like touching for me, you know, like to, to know there's people who are, watching and who are getting getting some cool ideas from us so just wanted to say thanks to all of you yeah yeah and uh, if you are on socials and you're reaching out know that it is adam you're reaching out to i am not <laughs> the social guy i don't really ever open my social media very very often so i'm very very glad that adam takes care of that and if you reach out to him and and you get a response it is all his wisdom and none of my wow fodder <laughs> like this is matthew speaking <laughs> hello this is matthew you're an idiot oh did, oh, did i make you mad this is matthew no. um, yeah no that's uh it's been fun so yeah well today we are going to uh do one of our encounter ideas that uh we we do sometimes the the ones from the the Eureka book, the, the gnome, gnome cast, gnome stew book. Uh, but today we're doing one from another place. What was the place again? Uh, this is a dungeon influence. We've done a few, I think this is the third one we've done since we started the podcast and, uh, okay. uh episode 24, right? 
Yeah, th- awesome. this is episode 24. Yeah. You know what that means. Uh, what does that mean? It means next it means week is 25. Uh, it means that next week is 25. <laughs> and when we get to 26, we're going to have half a year's worth. That's wild. Right? Of, of That's weeks. Right. Yeah. If, we, if you're doing it every week, there's 52 weeks in a year. So yeah. getting there. Getting there. Six months. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, let's hear about this uh, this encounter starting idea. Yeah, again, uh, if you're on Instagram, this is Dungeon Influence, and they have really good um, prompts. We may use some others sometime, but they have prompts. that these are. This is a game hook is what they call it. This is game hook 47, um, if you want to like search some of those up. But they have NPCs, they have items, and they have just like conversation starters too that are, are kind of cool just to help like spark if you're kind of in a rut sometimes that's a helpful thing so this is the game hook real short uh, a weird mist starts to cover the whole continent strange sounds of movement are heard from the mist and that's it just a little that's prompt a little hook so little yeah. little prompt so you're given this kind of encounter prompt you're getting ready for a game. What does your brain do? Yeah. You're like, I wasn't ready for you to throw no. that back at um, me yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things I immediately don't want to do is pull a Mistborn. Well, and I was like, just you know. going to say, <laughs> first thing every one of us thought of is, oh, yeah, Mistborn. That's those creatures out there, the, the, the gelatinous things, right? Yeah, Sucking up yeah. bones. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I like the idea of you know one okay it says it's start, starting to cover the whole continent um, and I would like start thinking if I'm okay I'm, I want to use this is it actually uh, is it actually like continent wide or is this a very localized thing that like feels like oh it's like taking over everything but it's specific to like where maybe the characters are in the moment too. And if it's, if it's that, or even if it's, it is taking over the whole continent, but it seems to be, obviously they have been maybe not the epicenter, but they've been close to it. Obviously something's going on very specific to them there. And, um, I, I kind of like the idea of almost that being a, uh, um, a distraction or a cover for goings on maybe some kind of cult or, uh, some kind of like movement of even uh, like what if somebody was moving an armed force under the cover of these magical mists that were taking place because they were, you know, trying to take over something or uh, I, that's something that kind of comes to my brain with that of like using it as a, okay, this weird mist is out there and nobody's going to go out into the, they're not going outside, you know, at night or whatever, because we can't see anything. And this is able to, uh, like, we're able to use that under under the cover of that. We're going to move our our army, or we're going to do these like nefarious things that we're trying to keep out of the prying eyes of other people. So that's like one thing that kind of comes for me. And then you have this chance to like hook in. Okay, the PCs are stumbling around in this mist, maybe finding out some of these things. So I don't know. You have you have thoughts on that? My my first thoughts. Uh kind of center uh, are, are kind of in line with what you just said in that it for me I have to make a decision is this going to be something that uh, begins to happen right here with 
the, like you said, we're close to the epicenter or at the epicenter and we have to decide what's happening? Or is this something that you start hearing reports and so your oh, yeah. characters are going through whatever you're finishing up and you're hearing somebody who just traveled a long distance say, there's something going on up in the north because uh, this fog and mist, uh, some of my family and I left and we headed down this way. And then you don't right. see those people anymore. You continue doing whatever encounter you're on now and then a little later more people start coming into town and there's these you know talk yeah. of this mist and then maybe shortly after you know some tendrils of mist start coming into town and then the next thing you know it's like pea soup and you guys are in it so they <laughs> they have a chance to hear about it maybe yeah. over days or even a week or two you know uh because of you know say this first guy who got out he's you know, he's a well-worn traveler and he is an adventurer or something and he left early. Uh, and then later you start getting, you know, some of the, the, the running, uh, wildlife or some of the, like the, the, even the trolls, orcs, whatever that don't understand this. And they're kind of running from it. It's like that forest fire where you have all the animals. And then, uh, lastly you get the people who like were trying to stay, but now they're like totally freaked out and uprooted from their homes and they're coming in and you got this whole, um, uh, force of people with no homes anymore. Right. Uh, coming in and it's the whole situation. The town's trying to figure out what do we do with all these people and where do we house them and how do we get them fed? And now, Oh no, here, this is coming. What do we do about this? And then maybe you're contacted uh, by the government or the, the local community. Yeah. That could be one way. Right. Um, And then the other place my thoughts went was uh, it could be either something truly supernatural that portends worse things coming or it could be totally natural, something that happens maybe every hundred years, and there's a prophecy that this happens every hundred years because the great volcano opens and the, the cold air spills in and makes a mist that travels the land. Uh, and really, it's just a natural phenomenon. But under guise of that, someone decides, I'm going to take advantage and either... Mm make some money. I'm going to profit off of this in some way, or like you were talking about undercover this, I'm going to finally move my army against my neighbor so that they don't know this is coming. uh, And we get the surprise, but they, you know, they obviously knew that this is something that has happened before because it's in their histories, whatever. So again, (coughs) I have to make this choice of, is this a, a truly, you know, uh, the calling card of evil coming, this is something super bad. Or this is something that just happens, but only certain people know about it, and therefore yeah. they're taking advantage of it under the the guise. So I would make that decision, uh, and then I would uh, begin to populate it with whatever. So if it's just you know, yeah. natural people, you can have whatever you want and whatever reason being under there. It's a little more exciting if it is something supernatural, if it's something that... Uh, <laughs> is one of those things that hook your characters into uh, the world needs this stopped. And I guess here we are, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll be the hero and they go against, you know, and then you can start to populate it with, you know, what is it that they hear the sounds of, you know, and right. you can think of those mistborn type things, or you can think of right. something totally different or something mm-hmm. totally crazy from another totally different environment that has come up from the belly of the earth or that has come down from the skies or out of the seas or maybe something ethereal that's come only in the mist and they only are incorporeal and fight in the mist. You know, those kinds of things are are fun to do also. So there's a lot of ways your brain could go. 
And part of it is sitting down and making some decisions and deciding, okay, this is where my characters are in their development. If they're, if they're just starting out, that might be the thing that hooks everything and starts the campaign. If they're going about following another, uh, another task, this could be something that furthers your agenda as the GM or just gives them uh, some stuff to do when they find out it's just, you know, armies moving against one another yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I, I like that. Um, and I, I would probably actually thinking about it now, be pulled more of this direction that you were saying of the foreshadowing kind of element of that, mm. of like, you know, early in the campaign, it, this adventurer coming in or refugees or my, you know, my bard in the corner of the, the tavern mm-hmm. who's singing a song about this and it's like this stuff is happening and foreshadowing that and letting the the game play out a little bit but then you know maybe maybe they go to investigate on their own maybe there's a quest given that takes them into that area maybe the game like circles around that for a while and then eventually they go into it because of whatever the arc, you know, the story is that's taking them there. But I, I do like that idea of them hearing about it more than um, just being like, there's, it's a different kind of story. If you're just like immediately thrust, you wake up one day and the world's covered in mist versus you're hearing about this thing that may be growing, or maybe it's just a weird spot. Um, so I do like that of just the, uh, yeah, foreshadowing and hearing. Um, and I think it feels more like our world today where you hear about like hard hardship and atrocities and war yeah. and stuff going on in faraway lands, but it's not here, uh, not where we live in America. And so it just seems further away. But then if something changed and all of a sudden all of that started coming here, yeah. it, it changes your mind and your life. And so that's something that people can relate to in a sense, yeah, yeah, even though it's sure. not going to be those same things. Right. Yeah. It could be that, you know, we've heard always about the mist in the north. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, you know, it's been in song. It's been in, you know, we've heard tale, but now it's starting to come this way. And why? What's changed? Yeah. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. I think it'd be interesting too to have, uh, and I, I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but the uh, kind of your second piece, but like, what if the mist was like even a naturally occurring, you know, once a year, the mists come for a 10 day span and it's called the shroud, you know, like the shroud comes in October every year for 10 days. And, um, you know, that's like a thing that's even it's coming, you know, like we know, Hey, it's actually September 20th or whatever your months are in your game. And the shroud is going to appear in two weeks better batten down the hatches you better get these things done we need these things that you know it's i think that could even play an urgency right and local government knows that during the shroud bad things happen because people know yeah there's cover right yeah (laughs) so that there's there's even yeah pieces of that too of of story that could happen so that that's that's interesting to me too of just like playing with it it's like this naturally occurring phenomenon um I also really, really, I don't know, it could connect to this, but I love uh, wizards screwing up and there being a magical effect that's like permanent because they did something stupid, you know, kind of thing. And <laughs> Forever. Um, there's a, we, we played, you know, way back when, but um, the game Guild Wars, there was a, in the the kind of opening pre, pre-seer, the like, 
how to learn the game kind of section of the game, there was this area called Wizard's Folly. And I don't know the exact story, but it basically was there was a tower. And for some reason, everything was frosted over, you know, and it's like my my head cannon at least was always like, okay, this wizard did something stupid and frosted over this whole area. Um, Wizard's Folly. And I actually yeah. ripped that off. Like that was an idea that um, the game that you guys are in now, um, there was an area that was near you guys went into and there was the the Jotun, you know, and like the frosty area. Like that was like kind of based, it was kind of a nod to that idea. But I what love I love the idea of like, I don't know, just magic people making terrible messes of things. And so maybe somebody screwed up and now there's this giant mist. Um and I think you could play if mist doesn't work for your game for whatever reason, it could be a creeping frost. It could be I don't know, a withering, like all the plants are withering for some reason. I think it takes away a little bit of the shrouding mystery yeah. of the thing if you do that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that's something it could add something else. Mm-hmm. It could yeah. be that anything that, you know, as the withering progresses, whatever is in its uh, area loses vitality, including your heroes, yeah. including any enemies. You know, that, right. Yeah. So that'd be interesting to fight on the edge of a creeping blight that's sapping things. And you're like trying to maneuver to not be in it, but you're trying to get your foes into it. You know, I I think that could be an interesting environment too, that maybe I'll steal at some point. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's it. I'm good for that. Well, we're going to talk about our, this is the the interesting part today. We have a main topic. Mm-hmm. We have very little idea where we're going to go with this main topic, yeah. but we're going to go nonetheless, because <laughs> like adventure is striking out into an adventure, you're just learning. So your GMs and your podcast yep. hosts sometimes strike out into the yep. unknown. Sometimes as a GM, you don't exactly know where your characters are going to go and you just kind of have to roll with the punches right and react and <laughs> right. uh yeah improv a little bit so we'll see um yeah this idea and and to kind of to kind of get into this you know it's like the idea of world building maybe we've made this world we've created the physical map and you know here's where the here's where the cities are in the mountains and kind of thought about maybe some of the history and myth and and all these things but in a lot of ways for like a game, I think, I think the game is like, it's what is going on with the party. Right. So why do they need to exist? I think is a question. Um, and this does, this is a little telling, I think about at least for me, the style of game that I'm angling for, at least in a fantasy setting. And I think I could probably speak that for you too, Matthew of like, we expect there to be heroics, done and like this group is coming together to do to do something epic or big or you know maybe not i don't know world saving i think in a lot of times is what i'm thinking at least is like there is a reason there's a catalyst there's the inciting incident you know like that kind of pushes them forward kind of thing um so like one of the things i you know i want to get to eventually is like maybe how we've done that like how have we maybe unified a group for a common purpose and like when that has happened, um, eventually. But, um, 
that that's kind of the idea of just like the catalyst and why a group even needs to exist in that. Um, some of the stuff I uh, was thinking about was like, you know, this could be different scales um, as we talk about this. And like, why did, why is a hero needed or why is a group of heroes, why is a party of adventurers needed? Um, or even like, you know, looking at uh, like a game like Red Markets, um, which is not about heroics really, like at all. That's not, it's about like, it's about, doing what you need to do in order to survive. But even in that, I think there's, and, and that's built into the the game of like, and we're eventually going to talk about this in more depth, but the, the reason that a taker party, the, the party comes together, you know, is to hopefully get your dependents out of zombie infested wasteland. You know, you're wanting to get them to safety. So I think even in games like that, there, there is still an element of like, okay, what's the why for this? Like, what, what is it about the world that these people are needed um, to become something greater, um, to become something more than just themselves? And uh, I think, like, like I was saying, that could be a different scale. Like, it could be um, local heroes. It could be regional or world or, like, cosmic planar kind of stuff. Like, it could be any of those or anything in between. Um, I don't think we have to think like huge epic all the time. It could be something smaller arc, but that kind of why is still the driving force, I guess, for me. So um, kind of, as I say that, are there like thoughts that come to your mind, Matthew, with that? I think uh, it can even be possible to do a mix of those mm. in your game uh, when you're talking about scale. So let's go to something that probably all of us here have witnessed and seen, and that is the D&D movie, um, Heroes or whatever it was, Thieves, Honor. Honor, honor among of, Thieves. Yeah. Honor Among Thieves. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but when you look at that and you look at, okay, what was their reason for doing any of the stuff they did? It was a couple fold. So uh, the main character, and I am forgetting everybody's names. All I can remember is Jonathan, and that's not the main character. <laughs> that's uh, the, the main name character. you need to remember, though. That is the name. Jonathan! Well, who was the, the lead guy, the bard? I got to be honest. Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Josh will remember. He remembers things like this, and he's in our chat. Uh, but anyway, the the bard, the main guy, uh, his reasoning, uh, you follow through that whole movie, has to do with his you know, wife and his little girl. <laughs> What's that? Chris, <laughs> Chris Pine. Uh, I'm looking it up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, But anyway, his purpose had to do with both his wife and his little, his little girl, right? So the the main thing was he was trying to get his wife back, right? Uh, it says right. here, Edgen Davis. Is that it? Edgen. Edgen, Edgen. I think, yeah. Darvis. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so his personal reason was his wife was gone and he was trying to get this thing to bring her back, to resurrect her, right? That's how they got caught in the first place. And in doing so, he left his little girl. And then, you know, he has to get his little girl back and prove that he is a worthy father. And But, like, to get his girl, his little girl back and, and all of this, he enlists the help of these other people, right? And so that becomes a personal motivation. But then there's still a greater world motivation in that these right. red wizards who basically make living zombies of people have done this before and they're trying to do it again. And that becomes like a kind of more epic kind of 
part of this story that's happening at the same time. Both of those purposes are reasons that you need heroes. Uh, if if the heroes don't step in, everybody is going to be turned into these dead zombie things right, for the Red right. Wizards. If the heroes don't step in, uh, this you know bad guy is going to get away with his daughter, take yeah. her off to another place. His wife is not going to come back. All of that's resolved through the story. And so you have this mix of personal and epic uh, is what I'm really trying to get at yeah, here. Yeah. And I think that's a good a good thing to do with your party because um, when, okay, think about why do we read, why do we read fantasy books at all? Mm. You know, we know if, if we're uh, looking at books in general, we know that there's going to be some sort of conflict set up and that it's going to be resolved. Right. And we could just say, well, I know that there's going to be a conflict that's going to be resolved. Why do we have to go through it? And I think it's because there's something in our lives and in our, our own hearts that's always searching for uh, a couple things. One, significance, um, and, and two, uh, overcoming uh, I think are two big ones. There's probably more. But when I think of significance, when I was young, I would read these books and they almost all kind of had a similar feel to them. And they were, and we've talked about this before. Uh, for me, there was this feeling of uh, the, the boy who was nothing. He was, you know, the runt of the litter, the yeah. last, the least of the magic, whatever it was. And then comes to find out that he has something special that no one else has. And that's right. what the world needs right now. And that's the idea of, you know, why is there a hero needed? It's this idea of yeah. personal significance. Um, we also see uh, the idea of the the journey, like uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, that whole trilogy, that idea that there is this great importance of something needs to be right. done. Um, and it is that is more along the order of epic. But even if you look at that, they're getting rid of this ring um, so that the, the world is safe from... Sauron, right? That's the eye. Yep. <laughs> Always got Sa Sauron and Sauron mixed up. Uh, but at the same time, there's these personal things going on between Sam and and uh, Frodo, and uh, so there's that. Uh, I had another one. I said uh, I said uh, the the greater what is that? The the significance was one, and then uh, I probably said overcoming, which I just yeah kind overcoming of about. Uh, but it's this idea of uh, you read a book because you want to see uh, these inevitable odds that are stacked against the world mm -hmm. and, or the people involved overcome. And right. so that's that's going to be another part of why is why why are these people needed in the world? Mm -hmm. And it you know when we do our personal games, I'm sure you could look back at each just like I looked at these two movies, and you could do the same thing. I look at the dormant mind, and it started off a friend needed you because they right. were being falsely accused. Uh, that's how kind of the the beginning started, but that was like the, a very small part of it. Once the whole thing got going, because right. it ended up that the world is indeed in danger of being overrun by some shadow figures because of somebody's greed and. You don't even know what the full ramifications of that are, but you know it's bad for humanity. Yeah, <laughs> that if right. this continues, humanity will cease to be uh, in control of their own lives. They will become enslaved and subjected in some way to these shadow creatures and the shadow creatures' master. And what is all that going to look like? You're figuring that out, but you know that that's bad, and so it's got to be overcome. Right. Right. In the midst of that, each of you are going through your own personal journey of finding significance. 
uh, and, and the world needs somebody who steps up who maybe never thought they were much, but they proved to be significant in some way. I think one of the questions you said something about when we were discussing this just a bit before the podcast started was why, why these people, when there are already like really powerful people in the world, there's already, you know, and, and you can think about that in our world. Our world already has like the movers and the shakers. There's the Elon Musks and the people generating AI and, and the people in military positions and the people right. who are smart and rich who do all this stuff. And yet there's some part of us that likes to think somehow I could be significant mm -hmm. in the turnings of the world. And I think yeah, we all search right. for that. And so I think from our players' perspective, that's what they're playing out. They're yeah. playing out like I'm in a world where maybe I don't have the same significance as all these huge, you know, rich, politically savvy people. But yet I like to feel like my life matters in some way, yeah, yeah. maybe on a greater scale than I even mm -hmm. understood. And so I play this game looking for that. And so if that's what our players are looking for, we as GMs are looking to make that experience happen and to right. show to show that. That's why we read books. That's why an author writes a book about a kid who is absolutely worst in his class in magic, but then ends up being like of a totally different order who ends up, you know, right. fighting off the one thing that could kill all of humanity that no one else could fight because he is different. And, you know, we yeah. read that. He wrote that because we all have that universal mm -hmm. pull inside us yeah, <laughs> to have yeah. that significance and to overcome. Yeah. So yeah. my, my, uh, my thoughts always end up going toward the philosophical and toward the, uh, you know, what, what is, uh, in our minds as readers and as players. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, it's very much part of why we do this game in the first place right. and, uh, why we as GMs want to make these stories in the mm -hmm. first place. So that's, one bit of this, did that make you uh, think of anything in particular? Uh, because we are totally bouncing back and forth off of yeah, one another yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That, well, that kind of question was, that's what was stuck in my craw a little bit <laughs> was, the, uh, <laughs> you know, that, that idea of, okay, um, why does this work? Cause it does. And I, I do, I think you hit on the, you hit on that of like, there is a desire in us and, and maybe it's the player. It is the player desire to, to have significance, to want to overcome, um, to do these things. Um, and I don't know that we have to like convince the characters as much as the players in that sometimes, you know, of like, and I, I've said this before, but I think when we sit down at the table, at least again, this, this is the kind of games where, tending to play and i know different groups do different things and um like that's do what your table you know is wanting but I, I think when our groups sit down at the table there there is a an understanding like i am here to to do this you know like we're, we're going to move into these quests and um we're going to right some wrongs you know and even even like if a character's maybe not necessarily good you know like i think there's still like a movement towards like this is an injustice and i'm going to deal with that or that it, it seems uh like that still plays out because the the players are coming to the table that way um but that that question um of like okay why does the you know i'll, I'll use my 
my barbarian Cormac, it's like, why does the like farmer, you know, who lived on this little island with sheep in his family need to step into this place of like doing these like world travels, collecting these powerful artifacts, fighting against crazy creatures when there are like, you know, gods speaking to people and uh, mages creating these wild things. And there's powerful people all through the world. Like, why is that? And um, I think it's like one, you know, and you started to talk into that of like, there is something special you know, somebody has something special in them that can, can like bring these things about, can affect change, can unlock whatever is going on. Um, there's powers that are like harnessed within those seemingly insignificant people at first. And as they grow, that becomes something. Um, and sometimes it's just like, they're the ones willing to do the work. (laughs) You know, maybe the, the powerful people are, uh, um uh like too busy doing their own thing or they don't care or they're you know part it's of the problem. Like, yeah it's like they're part of the problem yeah um and i wish i could uh uh oh man i had it here this is like maybe a silly quote but i was thinking about um national treasure <laughs> with this and he, he he's a uh, by the way we probably should have done a spoiler for honor among thieves telling the story but the uh oh, you know, if you haven't seen we didn't, we didn't tell completely <laughs> how it ended if you haven't seen honor true. among thieves by now yeah are you shame really on you shame shame, shame. No. um you. but uh again if you haven't seen national treasure from 2004 uh here's a spoiler but um he he has decided to steal the declaration of independence so that it won't be stolen you know uh, great idea but he he makes this toast as he's getting he's about to go off and do this thing and he he says uh you know here's to the the men who did what was considered wrong in order to do what they knew was right you know and like he like gives this quote where he's like amping himself up to do the right thing and uh i think like um the wrong part maybe wasn't part of what I was actually saying, but like the, that idea of like someone choosing no one else, no one else believed him that someone was going to steal this. And he's like, everybody thinks it's untouchable. Nobody believes me. They think I'm a joke. I'm going to step up and do what's correct in this situation. I, I think that like, it can be that I have something in me so I can become this hero. Um, I can, have that great responsibility <laughs> because I have the great power or like maybe it's just no one else is doing what needs to be done and I'm here and I know what needs to be done. So I'm going to move into that heroic role. Um, and I think we can put those kind of things before our groups. Um, and some characters are going to bite on either one of those things. And I'm sure there's other options. I don't know. Like, does that ring anything for you? Well, it, here's so we're talking to GMs, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to like help them understand why is a hero needed here? You can always just throw out, here's something bad to happen. You guys are going to go fix right. it. Yeah. And that's one level of, oh yeah. And you can do that, right? You can say, you guys are, you guys are going to go, you got to go fight this dragon or these shadow creatures yeah. and they go. 
but it's much more powerful if there's real meaning in that for them. And so uh, part of, of today's talk is like, how can you make that really mean something for them? Uh, to make them feel like I'm the kind of person who's like, you know what, I know what's right to do. I'm going to step up and do it like, like you were just talking about. What is it? So one of the things, <clears throat> there's a couple different ways my brain's going right now. Uh, and I'm just going to throw them both out here so I don't forget them. Forget <laughs> either one. One is the connections that you can make among your party members and whatever's going on. And one is what they come up with themselves. So one of the most important things that we have found uh, for us as players and for the players that we lead as GMs is when there is ample time given for solid, full backstories to be written. Mm. I think I told you yeah. guys that uh, I started by not even playing D&D, but I would sit with my roommate. We would sit and we would come up with a character and a full backstory of like who they were and what what was the conflict in their past and why they were about anything, you know, this whole thing. Having your characters take the time to like sit down and think through these questions before starting uh, it it's one of those things we forget to talk about sometimes because we we have done it so often. But a new GM might not know that, and they might say, "Okay, I'm going to have a a, uh, a D and D game. Everybody come to my house on Thursday. Everybody gets there on Thursday, and you're yeah. like, okay, here's what we're going to do. What what are you going to play? You're going to be a, an elf ranger, okay, and you're going to be a, you know this and a that and a barbarian, okay. So here's what you guys are doing, and then they give the task, and everybody's like, okay, well we do that and we roll that, and that's one level of D and D. But again they just never were told, hey, do a session before the session. <laughs> Even maybe it's the session zero where uh, you all begin to talk about like what characters are we going to be. But the 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 homework in there, and it sounds like bad homework, but it's actually one of the things that can make your game the best. And that is have your characters write solid backstories right. about who they are and why they're doing anything. They're going to come up with something who, you know, who cares what it is at this point? Uh, there, some of them, it may be what you would consider not, you know, not, you know, it's like, uh, I was always, you know, a big guy who would take any dare and somebody dared me to go into the arena and I did, and I became a fighter. And now I just, I have to fight everybody and be the best. Okay. Right. So that's one character's backstory that may not be super deep. Another character may be like, uh, I lived with a small family, uh, who raised sheep. And one day I came home and the whole family was killed. Uh, and I vowed that I would always, I would do whatever it took to avenge them or to find out who their murderer was. And I still don't know. Uh, and that's my quest. Uh, and you get two or three of those and they're going to be wildly different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your job as the GM then is to like take all of those and to take this thing that you know is going to kind of be the arc of your story and begin to weave. You yeah. become a weaver, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's important. You weave that tapestry, you weave that rug together in such a way that it begins to make this grand picture, right? right? So it's not just your story, the arc that you want to tell. And it's not just this guy who's fighting in the arena and wants to be the best that's going to be told. And it's not just this guy who lived with the sheep herding family that's going to be told. It's going to be all of those in one greater story. Right. Uh, and yeah. that, again, is your job as the GM. And I think truthfully, new GMs are rarely told this. They're just told, well, get a book, get a module, right, and right. you know, just see how it goes. Mm -hmm. 
And that will get you somewhere. That will get you introduced right. to the game. That will get you and your players introduced to what role playing is at a at, at one level, but it's going to be a surface level. You want to talk about the games that begin to mean more. It's the ones where the characters invest more at the beginning, and then you right. invest more as the GM throughout. And everybody begins to invest in that cooperative storytelling that we continue to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And, and it begins to be something. And so you want to talk about, like, why does the world need a hero? Start with what's your character's backstories and motivations. And so yeah. they may or may not be good at coming up with these motivations on their own. And in those kinds of cases, there's little tricks and things you can do as GM to help that. Yeah. One of the things that I have done is, um, and I, I think there's probably multiple things. Uh, hopefully I don't mix them up too much, but I did a thing where uh, I rolled on a chart or I rolled twice on a chart and Okay, I'm, I'm getting mixed up here. I had every player have to have two connections. Mm. Okay, so a connection with one other player and a connection with a different player. So uh, in theirs. Yeah. And I think I rolled those on a chart, right? Yeah. yeah that was and true. so uh, in the Dormant Mind campaign, the only one that's coming to mind right now. So we did this. <laughs> remember, I had, uh, if you've been following this uh, Rise of the GM you, you hear that we've had door, uh, the, the Dormant Mind 1.0 and the Dormant Mind 2.0 uh, because we had a, a party start the campaign that then kind of went all over the place. It dissolved, and then another group of guys came in, and we decided, I decided I had more to tell in this story, and so we continued in that same campaign, and they met up with where, you know, they started in a different place, but met up with where that first party was and then continued on uh, to fulfill kind of the arc of my story. But in each case, um, they had connections with one another. And yeah, so right. Cormac had, I think it was Brandon's. Yeah. Cormac. I pointed out <laughs> Adam was Cormac. Uh, Brandon Harris's character, Ragnar. which is Ragnar. <laughs> uh, knew something about his past yeah. was what, it, you know, when they rolled it, it's like, you know, something about his past. Yeah. And so, uh, and I forget exactly what all you rolled, but part of your backstory right, right. was that some orcs had come through and killed your family. Right. Mm -hmm. And you like went insane and destroyed like all of them. Yeah. And Ragnar saw you go insane and yeah. destroy all of them. And so he knows this about you and you keep him close because of what he knows about you. So that's why you started kind of tailing him a bit right. and starting into this adventure. Now, obviously, there was the I need to, like, avenge my family. Yeah. For, you know, if there's orcs out there, I want to kill them. That was part of your whole thing. Except for uh, when I would forget that. Except for when you forget <laughs> that and toast them and give them yeah. big old buckets of ale. <laughs> it was all a distraction. <laughs> you did end up killing them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so you you had kind of this personal yeah. reason uh, to start that then evolved. And, and in, in conjunction with that, you followed this guy. Uh, Josh, who is always in our comments, who's in our comments here right now, his uh, family, I think also his mother also was killed by orcs, right? And he was like stuck in a well the whole time. <laughs> Am I making this up? She did die to start up with. I don't. And he know. hated water, right? Because he was like stuck in this well. He like he right, like was yeah. hidden in this well the whole time. We can make We're not all saying he was a coward. 
<laughs> Josh, you can, oh, yep, he says, yep, <laughs> that is correct. Um, he hates water yep, yep. now because he was in this well like the whole time that the orcs were killing everybody above. And uh, that's how he ended up not dying. Uh, and then he, you know, went on. So anyway, uh, you can do these things to help you, like uh, with right. tables and rolling and giving people connections, giving people. Uh, but then you tie that in with what they have decided is their own backstory. And you take those things and you say, okay, if you have people in this situation and they have these connections, and I know this is going on in the world, why do they become the heroes? That's part of it. You as yeah. GM, you're going to you're going to do that. Because yes, obviously there are really powerful people in the world. Philosophically, you don't know why these more powerful people aren't the ones to to solve everything. Maybe they right. tried and they can't. Yeah. Maybe they don't care. Maybe they're part of what's making the problem, these powerful people. Uh, there's lots of reasons, but then you as GM have to decide why this group becomes heroes and yeah. why the world needs them in particular. And I always love to, this is just me and me, <laughs> you know, we could have, we could have titled this, uh, this podcast instead of rise of the GM, we could have titled it like Epic because everything I want, everything I do is Epic, or we could have, uh, you know, titled it something else but yeah, yeah. Uh, i i always uh, prophetic that could have been a good one for me i always feel like uh, i want my characters to have been like the come from humble beginnings but there is more in them than even they knew and there is prophesied yeah. of them that this thing is going to happen right, right, they right. don't ever read that prophecy but you know yeah, it comes yeah. along. I think, uh, you know, in the Oracle of Order, I had a, like a direct prophecy to start the whole thing mm. off. <laughs> in this one, I didn't have a direct prophecy, but I did have you guys find some of the Sarconian prophecies, which yeah, have right. never all been found or interpreted. Uh, the most correct, you know, prophet in the world, this old insane woman wrote all this stuff down and nobody even realized it was prophecy until right, years yeah. later, but it was this multi-volume set of prophecies. Mm -hmm. That gives me a little place to dip in anytime, you know, you can yeah. come across another Sarconian prophecy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or for you sure. could interpret some Sarconian prophecies, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I think uh, you could have, for, for me as a, as a GM, you could have said epic and prophecy are reasons why yeah for sure i always have to have this uh, all right again i realize i just go off on tangents and ramble <laughs> thoughts that's what that we do have come up in that there for you um yeah i i love the like the backstory um driving that and um a couple ways to do that they that that's a that's like a a situation i know i've talked about it um but the game that I'm the campaign and we're running, I'm running didn't begin that way. It wasn't intended that way. So it's been a, in a lot of ways, there's been like a piecemeal background happening over the course. It's like writing a background while playing the game in a lot of ways for depending on who the character yeah. is and or who the player is. Um, and, and that kind of goes back, I think to, the style of play you're looking for, you know, we can always look back at those eight types of fun and there's going to be, you may be a player out there or a GM that it's like a huge backstory is not your, your jam. You know, you want to have a pretty basic, like this is where I came from. I was a, in a martial arts school, 
and that I was sent out into the world to hone my craft. Like that, that may be your backstory. And if that's like, it's all about growth. Yeah. It's like, that's what you want. Yep. That's cool. You know, like make sure to do what, what's like the fun thing for you and how you can develop. Or you may be somebody who's like, I'm going to name off my mom, dad, all my cousins, brothers and sisters, and the whole, I have like a family tree that's built back and how we were connected to the Royal family. And here's the thing that sent me out from home and how I had like apprenticed under this blacksmith who, you know, it's like, there's all this stuff that you, you, that may be what we want too. Um, and again, that's like, if that's your style, that's cool. Um, but I, I think like, because of the game, uh, style of the beginnings for me, um, I've had to kind of work that with people of like, okay, like how much do you want to bring into this? And some of that has been a lot and some of it has been little. Um, But like a thing I wanted to say was like, if you're listening to the backstory stuff here and I do, I do think I'd like to do a whole episode on just like, how do we help people write their backstories and kind of get into that. But um, if you're like, man, like I'm, you know, we've done a ton of sessions. We've done like 30 sessions of this campaign and I never pushed for like backstory. Like I I don't think it's too late even in that of there's been stuff that's been built obviously, but um, you can start working with your, your people and being like asking some, just some direct questions about, you know, what is your character's family? Like what was their upbringing? Like what, what's something that was, important to them, you know, and, um, getting some information to be able to bring into it. Um, I don't, I don't think it's ever too late for that stuff to come out. And it's even like, you know, people don't tell everybody every single thing about their lives. And I doubt an adventuring party does, there may be some, some characters that would, um, but that can be even like surprises that come out about, about your characters and can drive them forward, which is really kind of what I was coming around to is, you know, with this game, Jade Masks game, um, I've wanted to do that spotlighting with people when possible. And um, not everybody has been yet. And I want, you know, I want that to be a case, but um, one of the driving forces, like with, like with Matthew's character, with your character, Matthew, uh, Eliakim is there has been a, a very driving force of your brother was there, there was this complicated relationship between your family, between your father and older brother and younger brother. And a lot of that has played into some of the travels recently, particularly with like your youngest brother has been captured is being um, like, basically was enslaved. Um, and so you're trying to get him back and that's, that's like a driving thing. There, there was some stuff at the beginning with, uh, Ozoff, uh, and just his tie into the, the guard and the prison and the way that he had been in the city. Um, and those, those are like that personal, I think that personal kind of quest that you're, or that's kind of my term for what you were saying, like the, the personal drive for, you know, you're being driven as a character toward heroics because you're trying to get your brother back. Um, but in the midst of that, like you said, there is this larger situation happening that actually that's kind of tied into, but it's also a different thing. And the group, because of the bond of friendship or just the desire to adventure, you know, whatever it is, like 
they're going along, but there's also this like larger thing they're getting drawn into. And I think those, those are like good parallel things to think about as a GM of how can I bring that, that backstory in to like grip, like specifically, I want to grip Ben tonight at the table and have him like engage with something that's connected to his character, but also the whole group, there's something spurring them on to, to adventure in this way. So um, that's a good like parallel thing, I think, to, to think through for sure, like you said. And truthfully, in that game, I was kind of going along learning my character at the first, uh, just kind of figuring out what, what does this guy do uh, mechanically, right. kind of what's his character, what's his, you know, attitude. But it wasn't until you sent me a, uh, a DM on the side uh, saying, hey, uh, tell me some of your family. And I think you only asked me for names. Yeah. I can't remember. But me being who I am, I'm like, oh, there's my, there's my father. But then there's my, you know, I've always hated my father, but I'm always like trying to get his uh, approval, even though I hate him, because yeah. he always gave everything to our older brother and sent him to the wizard's college and paid for him. And then me and my younger brother never got anything. And I had, uh, I had to like take care of my younger brother because often he wouldn't have even been fed or had what he needed because our father was such a, you know, he was so enamored with the prestige of our older brother. Right. Uh, when in fact I also had magic and my father, you know, like threw me by the wayside and apprenticed me out to a blacksmith. And like, I, I ended up inventing this whole, like all these relational conflicts. Right. And it was only at that point that then I really began to like super get invested into the story of what was going on before that you could have thrown anything in front of me. I'd be like, Oh yeah, I'd fly up in the air and I'd shoot right. it with my hand cannon, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever. Uh, I didn't care what we were doing. I was going to, you know, I was part of a thieves guild who didn't really want to steal, but I was just doing that to make sure that my brother, you yeah, know, but yeah. it was only once I put in that I'm, I was doing what I had to do to make sure my brother could right. survive, but I didn't really want to be, I didn't care about thieves and I didn't feel like it was right. You know, that kind of stuff then begin to give me more of this is how I'm going to react in every situation. Yeah. Uh, and a reason, you know, at first there was like a strong hatred for my brother, but even during the game, that kind of like tempered because we went and saw my brother and there was some arguing, but at the same time there was yeah. like starting to make amends a little bit and see right. that he wasn't always as bad as I thought he was when we were growing up. And he, he like left early in my life and mm. there was a strong hatred for him and that, you know, coupled with like trying to find my younger brother who I always cared for. All of this gave me reason, uh, gave me a yeah. reason to be out here doing more than right. just shooting people with my hand cannon. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, I think that's kind of stuff can happen at the beginning or it can happen any time in there mm. because this was like in the game. Because like you said, you started off, I wasn't even in the first session, right? right. You started yeah. off with a couple other guys because me and maybe another guy, uh, Chris, I think we were gone. Right. We were just like, oh, we'll do something while you're gone. Mm. It kept going. And then you asked these questions and begin to let us have a yeah. reason why, why are we doing this? Why are we heroes in this right. in the first place? And I do think that's important. Josh in our comments here uh, said, hey, I have a Google Doc that players fill out for their backstory so players have at least a vague idea of some things that I'm looking for. Mm. I think that's a really good idea. Again, yeah. we think not enough GMs actually get this idea of how do you help people create backstories? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of throw in with a, you know, a, a book and right. the players get together and they're going. The cool thing is this can be done at any time because like we just said with this one, it was only after a while that we decided, hey, we're going to continue going with this and turn it right. into a full campaign. You didn't even have like the main, <laughs> you know, the main idea of the lay yeah, lines yeah, in yeah. place right. at the beginning that spurred out. Uh, but then you ask us all questions and then you as the GM, you begin to take our answers to my family relationships and to, um, I can't think of any of the other guys' backstories. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're not important in my life though. They are important in my my life, but you took all of those that you got from them, um, with the shining guard. What's his name? Brandon Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Ozoff. Ozoff. Yeah. Couldn't even remember his name. Mm-hmm. You took Ozov's backstory. You took Leonis's backstory, which I don't even fully know myself yet. I get hints of it here and there. Yeah, yeah. You took all these and you begin to weave them in with this idea of the ley lines that kind of surfaced, and you begin to do that, you know, in your spare time. But all of this is saying that you, as the GM, begin to make this something greater than. All right, you go and fight some bad guys. All right, you go and fight some more bad guys. All right, you go and fight some more bad guys. You begin to make this something that's more important. That's what being a GM is all about. That's how you can take this and and elevate what it is to a higher level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just reiterating that. I think that's like our really good asking some of those questions and just getting the answer. Like any answer from your group is a really good tool as a GM because that like, I mean, the answer Matthew gave, you gave me, which was, you know, here are the names of my immediate family and how we related to each other. I mean, honestly is driven, maybe not in a lot of ways driven, at least the locational stuff of even those other stuff going around it. Probably because my character is so forceful. It's like, Hey guys, <laughs> we're all going here. You're with me, right? Like, all right. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, two, probably two arcs of this game and the way I think of it were kind of like the the line of movement was driven by that short conversation you know and yeah and that that's like creative fodder for the gm of if i can if i have a plan of i want to tie in leonis's culture or i want to tie in eliakim's family relationships or i want to look at torgan's like trauma in his backstory and like what that's going to do spoiler um you know like what uh like those things can expand a lot about like the world and the story and like again the personal heroics that maybe will happen so um that's a good tool just ask ask some questions about like what is your character about what what drives them what's the background of them and then kind of play with it Well, I, um, I think we could leave it at that for now, um, on that and kind of move into, uh, we have like one haversack question, but we do have our, our NPC, um, that we make use of. And the NPC is a, um, is from the masks, uh, um, group from uh gnome stew sorry i'm pulling it up here um but this is a this is one of the um people that gnome stew has written about and we, we've used this a lot um but this is a maybe a more neutral of a character that you could use in your games um so uh, i'm going to read this here this guy's name um is porter 
shingles, Porter shingles, and he is a ruthless thug. Uh, Porter shingles, the ruthless thug. Um, he says, uh, just tell me what needs doing and I'll see that it's done. So long as I don't have to cross my friends and I gets me cut, I'm your man. Um, his appearance, um, he's a, has rugged features, um, with a bulbous nose that's bent to the right after being broken many times with a, a patchily whiskered chin. He always looks in need of a shave. Uh, he walks a bit hunched over, um, and he favors his left leg. He's got a little bit of a limp there. Um, even in baggy clothes, his massive arms and his giant fists are evident. Uh, as far as role-playing, uh, Porter, um, just before walloping somebody, um, he repeatedly pounds his fist threateningly in his other hand, giving them one last chance to comply. So he's like basically showing, I'm going to take you out. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't comply with what I want, uh, you're about to get pounded here. Um, his personality, um, on the job, he's always ruthless, uh, with, um, those dearest to him though. He has a heart of gold. He doesn't think of himself as a criminal. Um, the people who hire him as a, a leg breaker uh, might be, but not him. He's turned down a few jobs, not many, um, just those that involve his friends. Um, as far as motivation, um, despite the toll of passing years, he still relies on his fists. Um, it's all that he knows. So he's motivated by um, being able to basically make his living by um, roughhousing people. Um, and his background is a, a dock worker in his youth. Uh, Porter picked up extra cash as a prize fighter. Um, when he got too old for the ring, he hired himself out as muscle for dockside gangs um, for the chieftain um, that needed a collection agent. And he earned a grudging respect uh, for how he worked. His strength um, was beginning to give way to his age, um, so he lets his reputation as a prize fighter do most of the intimidation work for him. Um, so that's Porter Shingles, uh, the ruthless thug that uh, uses his fists to get what he needs. I like so, yeah. Porter. I think one reason I like Porter is because he is truly a, a neutral uh, character. And yeah. I think... Yeah. Uh, in uh, the 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 book, the the mask book by Gnomes Two, they uh, open this air this uh, this section of the neutral characters with the with the statement that like uh, one bad break could turn this person into uh, one one bad year could turn this person into a villain pretty quick. Right. Or yeah, yeah. if somebody gives them a hand and helps them out, could turn them into someone of honor pretty quick. They're just kind of mm -hmm. really right in the middle, yeah. and they're really on that balance can go one way or the other. And I see Porter yeah. like this. He was a guy who. You know, he used to he used to be more, uh, and then when all that ended, he did what he could to to get by, and now he's aging, and he's just kind of relying on that, uh, you know, who he was in the past, and he still has some strength, but you can tell his body's starting to let him down. And I love these kind of characters because I think they can fit in as a GM when you need a character that can be molded b one way or the other. Right based on what the players do. And so I love a, a player like this. He comes in for who knows what reason he meets your characters. You could throw this guy in in a multitude of places. Uh, and then based on how your characters respond to him, 
he could turn yeah. into someone who helps them a lot, or he yeah. could turn into someone who hinders them a lot, or he could turn into someone who really becomes a, a true villain, you know, and uh, I like that as far as an NPC goes in my characters. And so a lot of times yeah, when yeah. you're a GM and you have your you have your campaign already in mind, you have your encounter already in mind, but your characters turn around and start talking to some dude and you're like, oh, I got to have a character. This is the the ideal kind of character. You know, he can be like this huge kind of meathead who seems like doesn't have a lot going on, but based on how your characters respond to him, yeah. and react to him and talk to him more or talk to him less or threaten him, he can kind of, he can fall on one side of the fence or the other and you can yeah, allow yeah, that yeah. to happen. So I like, I like Porter Shingles. I like those neutral characters. Uh, we've often had in here villains, ones who obviously are doing something evil, uh, yeah, right, right. This guy, he's just doing what he has to do to make money. And and does it sometimes, you know, come out to be bad for some people? Yeah. Does it turn out to be good for other people? Yeah. Does he have some honor? Yes. He doesn't hurt his friends. Anybody who he deems as as a friend, he won't take right. the job. Yeah. You know, so you can you can find as a party whatever you want in this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's not that villain. He's also yeah. not this like this shining righteous, you know. Uh, beacon of I do nothing that is harm to anyone. Right. <laughs> you know, he's not that paladin who walks straight over the rock <laughs> and yeah, keeps yeah. going. He is, he is a, a a character who is there to be shaped and molded. And so I think these kinds of characters can be very helpful for you as a GM mm-hmm. to drop into uh, in front of your characters and let them kind of dictate what's going to happen to this guy and what's what path is he going to take. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, this this kind of it of character has um enough complexity and it, it shows like change they're not just this like one uniform type of personality every time you even interact with them i think like you can see different facets of a of a, a personality um I, I like him too because i i think like you can see you know, say, say, I, I think I'd want them to like be endeared to him first <laughs> and then see him shaking somebody down, you know, and it's like, whoa, Porter, like what's, what's up with this? You know, like kind of like to have that questioning instead of, uh, I mean, I guess you could do it the other way, but I, I feel like if you just immediately show the thug, the thuggery <laughs> right away, they're just going to come in and crack his skull and your party's like, it, you oh know? yeah, we'll show him. Yeah. We'll just kill him. Right. Because we kill yeah. everybody. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> murder hobos for life, you know. And um, so, like, you know, if he's like bottom around at the tavern for whatever reason, because the the half orc beat him in an arm wrestling, you know, thing, or they had like a, a boxing match or something in the thing, like there, there's been some respect earned. They're friend, they're friendly, and they're like, well, now he's over here like beating up peasants for gold, you know, like what's going on. Um, you can have some conversations there and play some, do some role play and even some, uh, you know, explanations or maybe there's some character growth or maybe there's some character devolving, you know, that happens with him and that, but you also have like a friend, if, if you've made friends with him, maybe there's some, like, now I have a contact in this gang and there's some information. And now that we're friendly, he's not going to do a job against us, but he may pass some information on. Like, I think that can even be like some of the information giver, you know, of the, of the world that we've talked about before too. So, and I mean, you look at any movie, what could be more inspiring than when you have the guy 
who's kind of the hulking idiot who used to be bad, but becomes the lovable kind yeah. of person that, and then all of a sudden the bad guy kills them completely. Yeah, <laughs> you right. could have that happen in this. And yep. man, then your party who was like, who was seeing the redemption in Porter, yep. seeing Porter decide he was going to like live a different right. life, but he's still kind of caught up in this mess. And then all of a sudden they do this to him and then your yeah. party just goes nuts on some yep. people. Yep. When you introduce <laughs> so. him, he always wears a red shirt and you just know the red shirt <laughs> always dies. See, you got to get him out of that red shirt. So it's not so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a good one. He's a good one. I like Porter. All right. Well, that's Porter. Hopefully you can use him in a campaign. And by the way, you guys get to see the real way the sausage is made here. My computer crashed <laughs> in the middle of that. And Adam just kind of kept going and, and took over there. So thanks Adam for doing that. I'm yeah. back. Uh, you can tell we work on a huge budget. All of our uh, yep. Great equipment is a computer that is old. Yep. Uh, but we're going to go ahead to our haversack because that's still working. The haversack still offers up a question every time we pop our hand in there. What do we got this week? Um, so we got a train for sure. But uh, this is from Benjamin West. Um, he says, hi, guys. Uh, so a little backstory to put this Um Ben works at a high school and there's a handful of groups that are, have been playing D and D and um, a couple different editions. And he's, he's kind of been, I don't know if he's a sponsor or just like creating kind of the space for them to be able to do that. But um, he says one of the high school groups just finished their current fantasy era campaign and they're wanting to start a noir Lovecraftian campaign. Um, I'm thinking it could be cool if the student GM incorporates some Easter eggs sprinkled into the campaign about their long deceased former PCs. Um, I'm assuming that's from this fantasy area campaign. Um, that's just my assumption here. But uh, he says this, I'm planning to show him uh, Doom that came to Gotham comics from DC Universe to help with some inspiration about the era in the world. Um, any pointers or drips would be cool and useful for him, I'm sure. Um, and he signs off Torgan, which is his uh, character in the Jade Masks. Um, so the big question is, like, how can you sprinkle info about past characters into a campaign? Um, you got any thoughts on on that, Matthew? Well, obviously, I deal mostly in fantasy. I don't do a lot of noir. I don't do a lot of Lovecraftian stuff, although that's the whole call of Cthulhu, right? Or the Yeah, I think that was. All yeah, that's kind of that. Uh, if you're in a fantasy, uh, obviously, I talked already about my love of prophecy, and there can be lots of st stuff where they go back and talk about, you know, in the ancient times of old, blah, blah, blah happened. And, you know, you mentioned stuff that a character does that they would recognize. Maybe you don't even have to name the character at first. You can do some stuff and they can be like, oh, that's like when so-and-so. And then like later you can like, you know, have little drips and drops of those histories being pulled forward. So yeah. now how do you do that in a, this real noir kind of Lovecraftian thing? Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about that kind of setting personally, uh, but you could have, you wouldn't want to have one of them come back as like this tentacle mouthed creature or anything. That would be, that'd be disturbing. Because you just want them to be like their characters remembered. You don't want to destroy their character's legacy. Uh, but you can have something where uh, there is this written record of something that happened with this character. So yeah. that's very general, very vague. I'm sorry, uh, Ben uh, and 
Ben's uh, group, <laughs> if you're watching this, uh, that I don't know a lot about noir or, or uh, Lovecraft. I, I have read Lovecraft, and I do like his old stories and stuff. But yeah, yeah, I, I have I have a handful of thoughts. Um, you, you hit on one, Matthew, and that's like the written record, you know, of things of like, um, and I, I do think, you know, kind of pulling back a minute to, um, no matter what the genre, genre, I think I'll, I'll use that word. Like, I think, I think this stuff could fit regardless of whether it's noir Cthulhu or if, or Lovecraftian, I guess is the word or another fantasy game or you know, whatever, if, if it's in the same world, I think these things could translate a little bit, um, for that. But, um, um, if it's not the same world, I'm going to start with that. Um, if it's not the same world, I think there's some like meta nods that you can do. And that's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to stick with my bard thing. The bard tells a story that's essentially a story about the old party. You know, like that, that's mm-hmm. a thing where if it's, if it's simply for like, Hey, I want to make a nod towards the old campaign. It's not Canon like history or mythos or anything like that, but this is just a, a story that's being told, you know, we can do that. And that's like, Oh, that was awesome because that was our people, you know? And um, I think you could do that. Um, if it's within the same world, um, I do think like the written record of, uh, you know, they're in a ruin and they come across a, an old chest, you know, that's buried and they pop it open and there's a packet of letters that was written from one of the old characters to the love of their life or like a journal that they kept while they were adventuring. Like you could, you could kind of do some of those things to like bring that story in um, a little bit. Even as they're going through this, uh, this old ruin, you could have hieroglyphs, uh, and do things that, yeah. that are very like recognizable. Say you had a guy yeah. who always turned into a giant, huge tiger. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. you could have you know like you could describe some of that, and then let let their brains be the thing that figure out. Wait, that's like so and so. Wait a minute, yeah. and and this guy did, and this this figure here is doing this. That's like our old characters, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't ever recognize that you did that on purpose, or maybe yeah. they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the hieroglyphs tapestries paintings like that's a great idea um that kind of stuff and i I do think that was a good point too matthew of like to not because there's a i have a tendency to really really want people to grab those things and but to not be like yeah you see this just like your old characters and your old campaign you know like to not to not totally just say directly like this is you guys you know in that but to explain it and let it be and then if they start connecting to i think that's that's a really cool thing and if you say it and you're like really forward with it what will happen is at the table you'll get like chuckles around like oh yeah that was us that was awesome you know and everybody's like ah for a moment you'll have that memory if you let it hang it may end up being one of those things where they don't get it at all they, they don't get any more than that there was a picture of a guy turning into this large tiger and they don't quite understand what that's about. They don't interact with it again and yeah. whatever. Or it could dawn on one of them yeah. <laughs> uh, or a couple of them. And I think there's always more. Uh, it's that spark of joy that happens when we figure something out that we didn't anticipate figuring mm-hmm. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, yeah, you can play that any way 
in any level of heavy handedness to uh, light hints right. anywhere yeah. in that continuum that you yeah. want. Yeah, for sure. Um, another like nod that I like in, within the same world, if you're like, you know, a hundred years in the future or whatever, um, is the idea of like relic weapons or uh, relic um, items, you know, kind of thing of, I, I brought this up and it's not something that's in anyone's hand, but in my first campaign, Matthew's character had an insane sword that I didn't look at the rules well enough. <laughs> so I allowed some things. Um, and, uh, you know, it had all these power stone power. They're not power stones. They're called, um, what were they? Ah, uh, it's D and D 3.5. Um, yeah, they were or weapon gem gems or something. Yeah. Weapon. They're jewels or gems or stones or something. And someone who knows three, five, maybe can fit that in, but <laughs> used to know, it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and, he had a bunch of them in there and I realized much, much later, I'm like, Oh yeah, I should have read the rules. You're supposed to have like one. Um, I think there were like four or five in it, but um, basically there was a point in this newest game where um, I believe it was Torgan uh, was asking like, what are some like epic augment crystals? Augment crystals. Uh, <laughs> we both saw it at the uh, same time. Yeah, and yes, the, one sword to rule them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, Torgan was asking about just like, epic weapons, you know, and I started explaining that weapon, you know, and I'm unveiling here a little bit too, but I was explaining, I'd never said, oh, that was Keegan Tracy's, which I just said it wrong again, but Tracy's uh, sword Kagan, from Keegan Tracy. Tracy from uh, that. But I, you know, talked about, there was this, um, there was a sword that was used like many years ago that had the ability to hold more of these augment crystals for whatever reason than most people can handle, you know, and talked about that. And that, that was, you know, again, probably didn't land super well because we played that campaign 20 years ago and, um, or 16 years ago or whatever it was. And, um, these other guys didn't really know that, but that was a nod back to, this is the same world. It's only been 25, 30 years, you know, all these people are probably alive out there somewhere, but there's this weapon of great renown that, you know, people know of kind of thing. So you, you kind of said, you kind of made a motion when I said that, or did you, were you thinking about anything relic Well, it made me think, uh, so we have a guy we play with now, uh, Royal Robinson, uh, who was telling me about a campaign where he, uh, he had this character that, um, and I, I can't remember, I won't remember the whole story like he told it, which was, which was really great, but he had this character that, uh, made a deal, um, something with the gods and the gods, uh, were all, you know, when you get to 30th level, uh, when you get past Epic, you get to 30th level, you become a God and then you can no longer have a direct hand in the world. Right. And so he had this character that, uh, would, he got up to like level 29 and, uh, the, the, Something in this story was that every time he uh, made an intelligent weapon, it took so much of his experience, right? Oh, and so okay. he kept making these uh, these intelligent weapons. He he could craft huh. them, and so he kept crafting these intelligent weapons until he had like I don't know. His whole body was covered with daggers and swords and headbands of all these intelligent <laughs> weapons to keep his uh, XP low because once he became a god, all the other gods were like 
going to be Beware. after him because yeah, of something yeah, yeah. he had right. done. Uh, and so uh, at some point, uh, he realized he could not do anymore, could not carry anymore, and he was going to be found. And he was thrown into this pocket universe, uh, and all of his items were scattered. Yeah, Hundreds right. of years later, this became the thing that the the party was trying to do. They had to gather these relics of old mm. uh, and because getting them together would make something happen. But right. anyway, it was a really kind of cool callback because it was all of this guy's uh, intelligent weapons and armor and whatever. And it all had like little pieces of him in it. And it was, it was kind of a cool way to yeah. come back. You made me think of that. Yeah, and yeah, he yeah. could tell that, that story cool. way better than me. Maybe someday we'll have him on this podcast yeah. to talk about that very idea yeah, because sure. he was uh, doing a thing where he was playing a character in this <laughs> campaign where they were kind of hearkening back to his character who had all of these. Yeah. And it yeah. was cool. That was a really, that is a cool story. I'd, I'd love to hear him tell that more. Um, my third, my third piece of this, uh, just to like finish out what I'm thinking of is, um, hearkening back to locations. And that mm -hmm. sounds like, well, how does that connect to a person? And I, you can think of, let's go with in the Hobbit, you know, Bilbo gets captured, Bilbo gets captured by the trolls. And there's a whole situation where the trolls end up turning to stone at the end. Well, in the Lord of the Rings, there's a point where they cross through that and there's this, you know, point back to, Hey, it's the trolls that Bilbo always told us about, you know? And I think you can, you can use that idea of if you're working in the same world, even if time has passed, you know, it's like, there's, you start explaining, I don't know, maybe the massive battle that took place at the end or uh, a place where there was a very like important moment with a character and an NPC or something that they're going to remember. And again, it's not like, Oh, this was the place. Remember, you know, but it's like, you start explaining the details of this place and it starts to trigger remembrances of, oh, well, my old character was here, or we had this huge battle here, or I remember things about that. I, I think that can be a really cool aspect, too, to just kind of harken back to those. This is a lot of what I'm thinking about right now in a lot of ways of, like, uh, in, our, in my game, a lot of what has taken place was not connected uh, locationally to the old game it like there hasn't been really crossover of like location but there's a possibility at some point and I, it depends on what the group wants to do but the locations could could swoop up the map a little bit and end up in places that group the group the old group had been um so i i've been thinking about that a lot of like okay well, like what things would actually connect and what could be a cool like look back on that too so i, I like this question a lot because it's like helping me work through that stuff too and for me, this question's helping because I'm the only one who was in that previous right. game. And so if anything comes up to remember, I'm the one that's going to have to put it together. So I'm going to have to like do some yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. that yeah. old game. Yeah. <laughs> there was one, I know I've mentioned the, uh, it's kind of like the uh, Baba Yaga type hag that you guys encountered. I've talked about this on the podcast and you guys just kind of like walked away from it. It's like, well, here's three options. And you're like, we're going to take option four which is to attack you and then leave, you know? And um, one of those options was one of these connecting points too. And I'm not going to go too much into it, but I was like really, really wanting it because maybe kind of self-indulgent of like, Oh, this is like, 
can connect to the old campaign, you know, and you, you wouldn't know at all because we didn't look at it. But uh, um, I'm still holding out hope that some of those things will connect at some point. And By the way, total tangent here. There was, uh, you know, the Baba Yaga was old folklore. I think it was Slo- Slovenia at first, mm-hmm. Slavic, okay. Russian, or right around in there. Uh, this idea of the house that walked on chicken legs, the hag that lived in the house that walked on chicken legs through the wood. And it wasn't known if, if uh, you know, was she really bad or was she really good? Because she would take children, right? Mm-hmm. But she would, some of the folklore is that she would take children from families that were mistreating them. You know, and so you don't okay. know what she was doing. Yeah. All of this, uh, I just recently came across a book called Into the Forest, and it's like uh, a bunch of modern day authors doing retell, doing stories about the Baba Yaga character. Oh, really? Huh. The, the whole book is just a compendium of those stories. I haven't read it. I don't have it. I uh, thought about getting it. It's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, hey, uh, I think, are there any more questions in the Haversack oh, this week? That was the that last was, one in the Haversack. Guys, we need we need more questions from y'all. But that's going to end us here for today. We're glad you could join us here on Rise of the GM to talk about what it is that makes the world need a hero. Hopefully we gave you some ideas there and an NPC and an encounter and some stuff that you can use to drip some kind of old information into your stories. Uh, But again, uh, we're glad you could join us here. We uh, invite you to join us again next week as we talk about what, Adam? Uh, Next week, we will be talking about groups uh, within the world, Um, things like cults, uh, things like, yeah, cults, guilds, and factions. (laughs) Next week in our world building. Guilds and factions. Next week here on Rise of the GM, join us for that and more. See you later.